Welcome to a special live edition of the FinTech One-on-One podcast, episode number 296. This is your host, Peter Renton, co-founder and chairman of Lended FinTech. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Pankaj from, uh, he's the CEO and founder of Synaptic. I'm not going to try his last name because it's, it is a very challenging uh, last name for English speakers. But anyway, um, Synaptic uh, are one of the leaders in uh, when it comes to AI uh, in, in underwriting. We're going to be talking all about that today. Uh, we've got a we've got a great show planned with uh, covering uh, all the different lots of different topics inside you know what, demystifying AI, talking about how how it's being used today, how how lenders are leveraging it, and why it's the way of the future. So, with that, uh, welcome to the podcast, Pankaj. Good to be here, Peter. Okay, so let's get started um, by just giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself, and you've had a quite an interesting career to date, um, and why don't you give us some of the highlights? Sure, and for academic purposes, my surname is Kulshrist, don't try it, your tongue can <laughs> but, but really, I think the best way to describe myself uh, is I'm the geek that got out of the basement, basically. So I was doing this PhD at the intersection of economics and computer science uh, several decades ago, and G advertised uh, hiring modelers in their analytics center of excellence that they were trying to set up. That was a relatively novel thing at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I said, okay, instead of going into academics, why not try a corporate job in this interesting area uh, for a few years, and then we'll see where it goes. Obviously, I never went back to academics, but really at GE, I had the opportunity to work with all of their capital businesses, did a lot of work with their cards business, which is now called Synchrony, worked with their commercial financial businesses in areas of vendor finance and so forth, did even work with their reinsurance business, which is now part of Swiss Re. So did a lot of work primarily at the intersection of data, analytics, risk management, and a CRM. So I really feel that, you know, for a geek, this was almost the most ideal outcome that I didn't know anything else. I didn't have other strengths. And what I had strengthened, I got exposed to in a very good manner with a very good company. And uh, it has become the thing. Everybody is talking about AI and so forth. So I feel uh, blessed that I have this opportunity to do what I'm doing at Synapse. Right, right. So then, so maybe tell us the founding story. I mean, what, what was what was sort of the aha moment, or what led you to to start Synaptic? Right, and in in a lot of ways, Peter, I think uh, you know uh, the truth of these things is not that uh, interesting, really. The truth is that I, my whole career was spent. I didn't know anything else apart from data analytics. Uh, risk management and so financial services. So if I was ever going to do something, it was going to be in this area. But one story, which was not necessarily the founding story, but it did stir me up. And lots of my team members in the early days actually see me uh, quite animated about that. I thought it was this. So this was the early days in our startup. And I wanted a particular credit card. It was one of the premium credit card that one of the well-known brands was offering. I applied for that credit card uh, 
and I don't do that kind of stuff very often. I don't take, I don't carry multiple credit cards and so forth. And I get rejected. As you can imagine, that was very hurtful, right? I, I was a senior exec uh, and I was like, oh, I write these algorithms for, for God's sake, actually. So, you know, how can I get rejected? And then I started looking at my own credit scores just to understand what actually happened. And then I found that essentially what was happening was that my scores would go down every, you know, three times in a year, my scores will go down by 30 points or so because I was maxing out on my limit, taking basically a vacation or booking a vacation or something like that, basically. And because of that, you know, uh, the credit card company or the bank will not approve me for that particular product really. And I'm going here thinking, oh, this can happen to somebody like me who's basically in the premium segment where the service levels are supposed to be a lot higher. What happens to people who actually have not such a great credit history? I mean, what is the opportunity for them to get credit? And that brings another thought, which is as a society, Peter, it's very clear and COVID has shown us very clearly that lots and lots of people, their jobs are getting disrupted because of the technology disruption, because of the macroeconomic disruption, so forth. As a society, we have to make more credit available, really, in a responsible manner. And basically, I said, let me get to the bottom of it and figure out a way to change the instrumentation that is available to large number of lenders so that credit availability can actually be uh, increased. That mm -hmm. was some of the inspiration. Right, right. Okay, I know we've had, we've had a bunch of new people join. This is a live podcast. Just want to remind everybody, um, we will be taking audience questions at the end of the show. Um, so if, if uh, stick around for that, but I've got, I've got a bunch of questions I want to get through with Pankaj first. So maybe we can step back and say, look, look today, um, you know, there's obviously AI is getting a little bit more um, airplay. People or people are you know, certainly not as uh, negative about it as they were you know, five or 10 years ago, but maybe we can just step back before we dig into AI and talk about what's, what's wrong with the, the standard underwriting tools that uh, lenders use today. Right. Um, Peter Keynes said famously once, uh, when the facts changed, I changed my opinion. What do you do, sir? <laughs> to me, actually... Sim that actually simply tells what is wrong with underwriting. It's just too slow to change. Everybody right. knows that stories like mine are, are very common, really, right? All of us have had personal experiences. Uh, I've had so many stories of this kind of stuff in Uber rides when I talk to people who are really trying to find a way to get some credit so that they can pass the hump that, is, that they've got stuck at in their life, uh, life stage. So really, we know the story. In fact, what happened, another, I can actually relate another story. I ended up going to our banker in uh, New York City. Uh, and really this was, again, earlier days, I was trying to get a corporate credit card. I go to the bank branch, uh, which itself, frankly, shouldn't be needed, right? You shouldn't have to go to bank, bank branch when you have been banking with the same bank, you, they should be able to offer uh, products to you proactively. That didn't happen, obviously, but I go there, apply for a corporate card because I wanted to move away from putting all of these business expenses on personal credit card and then claiming them back. So I go there, uh, you know, uh, they say, okay, you come back or we'll get back to you after a couple of days. Didn't get back after 10 days, I called them uh, and uh, they said, oh, your application has been declined. Again, I was a bit upset because again, I've been banking with them for a while. 
and I actually know the chief risk officer and CEO of this business. So I said, <laughs> let me try and put some weight with these guys. So I walk into the branch and I say, you know, what do you, what, what do you think I can do to actually get this corporate part? Uh, she says, no, sir, I can see your profile. I would really think that, you know, they should have given you the credit, but this is our, you know, underwriting department and we can't change anything there. So I said, oh, would it help if I actually go to the uh, CEO or CRO and ask them to help? And her eyes lit up, Peter. She was almost like, oh, okay, but if you're going there, yeah, you should tell them that we have so many issues with the backend systems. And you know, she was all <laughs> list of things that she would like get get some attention from senior management. So the point is, underwriting systems are not able to behave intelligently. They don't take the intelligence with front-end team actually is getting about what the customers need and so forth. And just the policies and backend is so inflexible that uh, banks end up losing the opportunity to grow as well as, uh, uh, you know, uh, provide more credit to people. Right, right, right. Okay, so let's let's talk about, um, let's get right into it and talk about AI. And, you know, AI is sort of, it feels like there isn't a standard agreed upon definition. Um, how, you know, what, what do you mean or what, what, what should we mean when we talk about AI and underwriting? So decades ago, when I was studying AI, when I had introductory courses, um, the first thing that you were taught when you studied uh, artificial intelligence were expert systems. Very simply speaking, these are nothing but if then else, things, which is you codify your knowledge and say, if somebody has utilization more than this, uh, you know, you give them credit. If they don't have, uh, if their utilization is lower, uh, you know, you give them this kind of credit and so forth, really, right? So you can codify your existing knowledge. That itself was the beginning of AI. And a lot of these things began in agriculture and oil, actually. You know, in oil exploration, a lot of these tech, uh, technologies were used. But, you know, if you go back to the example, I can, you know, just relate it to the same example that I gave you about my decline. So look at that my utilization ended up being high at a point of time. It was not consistently high, but you could argue that if the utilization is high, you are likely higher risky customer because you are seeking credit really. So that stands to reason. But if you look at the fact that I have actually only just one credit card, what should that tell you? That should tell you that, oh, you just have one credit card and hence once in a while you'll end up using all the limit that you have. That's not such a bad thing, but actually the conventional credit models that you have, they will all penalize you for not having multiple credit lines right now, really, right? And then third thing, if you look at my account, you'll find that I have never been delinquent, never been late in whole of my credit history, really. That should make me attractive uh, guy. Another factor if you look at, and if you find that I have never inquired for credit till last month, there are no inquiries on my profile. And suddenly there, are, there is an inquiry on my uh, credit. What should it tell you? It can tell you that here is a guy who has been a very loyal customer with their existing bank. They use their credit in a very reasonable way, sometimes quite a bit, but really on an average pretty decently. And you can lure them away if you actually give them a credit offer at this point of time. Now, if you wanted to make that deduction, you will need to take all of this data and derive insights on, from that data, which are nonlinear, which require you to use a lot more data, which require you to understand trends of different types of uh, information that is being captured on you. 
And that is what current system doesn't do very well. So my notion of AI fundamentally is, how do you use data that is available now? And now there is more and more data available. How do you use that data more and more productively so that you can meet the customer needs uh, and you know, build a uh, profitable portfolio? Right, right. Okay. So then why don't we talk about, let's talk about Synaptic just for a little bit and, and your solutions. What exactly um, are you guys providing? Right. So we do primarily two things, uh, Peter. One, for a lot of these smaller lenders, they don't have the capability uh, or even the resources to be able to build out a custom model, for example. So our engine basically enables them to get a sharper scorecard from day one. And then once, the, once we are live in their system and we are part of their process, then the scorecard keeps improving as more and more applications pass through the system and it keeps on getting sharper. Think about it as a, a set of uh, knives that we are actually uh, providing in a big kitchen where there are a lot of different things that are being cut. There is meat being cut, there is vegetables of different kind being cut and so forth. You have different knives for each of those things. And then those knives are made from a special material that as you cut stuff, it basically senses the density and texture and all of that and continues to actually become sharper. That's a little bit of what is going on uh, in our software. Right, right. Okay. Okay. And then, so what about the different lending verticals? I mean, what, 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 um, how are you deploying this? Are you, is it across multiple verticals? Yeah. So there are, there are two, broadly two areas, uh, Peter. We do a lot of work in consumer lending. Uh, that could be, you know, uh, credit unions doing unsecured loans, doing auto loans and so forth. We work with several auto lenders because, you know, this is space, as you can imagine, uh, as economy is kind of recovering, uh, a lot of people are trying to get an automobile first. It's a means to their livelihood, really. So we're seeing a lot of interest in that space. Uh, we work with uh, several smaller banks, regional banks and so forth. And then on the other side, we also are starting to do work with uh, several SME lenders. And as you can see, the government uh, stimulus, uh, you know, there is, uh, you know, uh, that sector is really likely to grow very significantly. And we are trying to make sure that they, their toolkit goes to the next level so that their, whatever growth they experience is uh, sustainable growth. Right, right. So I, I want to talk about the the, the the smaller banks and credit unions you just mentioned, because I know a lot of them have they have limited capabilities when it comes to technology and and uh, even uh, you know underwriting for that matter. They don't have the capacities of some of the larger the larger lenders. So how how are you helping those those groups specifically, and are they able to really get you know you know the capabilities that maybe that the, the, they couldn't they couldn't get otherwise? Right. And it's a journey, uh, Peter, that we are trying to take them on, really. So the way it ends up working is they clearly all of them, really, acro uh, across the board, all of these guys, we have talked to hundreds of them uh, in the last few months. Pretty much everyone is looking for growth opportunity. Uh, nobody is talking about having a loss issue, which we used to hear about a couple of years ago. Right now, everybody is just talking about how can I lend more, but make sure that I do it in a reasonable manner. So that's a very sensible way these uh, uh, credit unions and uh, smaller lenders are actually thinking about. So 
what we do is we get in there and we say we definitely have this toolkit and at least we we feel very confident that this will give you significant improvement in in, in your approval rates but the way we basically encourage them to do this is understand your own risk appetite and do a little bit of testing so the first thing that we end up doing is we end up understanding their existing loan origination system or whatever is the technology that they're using. Most of the times it's some loan origination system. Sometimes it's, a, it's something that they have uh, bought from a smaller uh, loan origination system, sometimes one of the bigger ones. So we basically go in with them and say, okay, we'll just set our system on top of your existing system. Nothing in your existing order needs to be disrupted. Just put 10% applications through our system and get a challenger decision. And then you can uh, decide uh, you know, whether you want to roll that up to 30% of the portfolio or 50% of the portfolio and so forth. So that's the first thing that, that's the step one in our engagements typically. Another thing that happens, Peter, is that in lots of these cases, we find that uh, credit unions so forth even now have a judgmental component. And I think it's a good thing because there is a human being that is looking at all the quantitative information that is being uh, provided by these scores and credit reports and so forth. But they also have the ability to ask a question to understand the situation of the consumer. And that's what credit unions actually do particularly well. They, have, they can have a lot more empathy uh, to the consumer. So that brings in additional data. So what we are also able to do is we are able to say, right now, you're basically putting all the applications through the judgmental underwriting process, which actually makes that process not very effective. So what you can do is you can target that. And in cases where the approval or decline decision is very clear, really don't uh, send it to the judgmental underwriting team, but then send those cases where you actually need more information and get a judgmental underwriter to make the uh, ultimate decision there. So that becomes the second stage. We give them a lot of operational efficiency by doing this. Their judgmental underwriting gets very focused on driving growth for them. Uh, so that's roughly the plan that we get them on. Over a period of time, we think that, you know, as they get more comfortable with the algorithms and they get the confidence that this is not uh, blowing up anything in, in their uh, credit uh, risk performance, uh, I think uh, it'll go uh, in ways that I can't even predict right now, I guess. Right. So then if, if you want to get started, I mean, is it how long from the time that you first have an engagement with, uh, with a smaller lender, how, and how long before you can really start a, a pilot program, so to speak? Right. So in most cases, it ends up being somewhere between four to eight weeks, uh, Peter. And that timeline we are trying to shrink continuously right now because we are building these partnerships with the loan origination systems so that the integration is almost pre-done. We already have partnerships with all the data providers, so we can bring all the data to, uh, together very quickly. That's that doesn't take time, but on the integration to the loan origination system, we still have uh, some work that we have to do. Uh, but really, four to six weeks uh, typically. In some cases, we have been able to get people uh, up and running even in two weeks' time, and that happens with the smaller startups who have their own homegrown kind of 
uh, you know, loan origination system equivalent. So then we have a tech guy who we can just sit right across table, work on our APIs, and the integration gets done within a couple of days time, and we can get them live in a couple of weeks time as well. Okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, so let's let's just dig into the data now. You you didn't you mentioned a, a little bit about this in uh, earlier, but I wanna I wanna sort of talk about the the types the the breadth of data, the types of data that you you put into these underwriting models. Maybe explain that a little bit. Sure, sure. So uh, all the three bureaus is par for the course, obviously in this space, right? Everybody uses some sort of uh, bureau uh, information. So obviously we use all of that data. The difference when we use bureau data, Peter, is this, that most people will use a standard score, uh, like a FICO score or a Vantage score or something like that. And, you know, 10 other attributes, for example. Our models will, uh, you know, um, guzzle maybe like 100, 200 variables, depending on the model that we are using. So there is just a lot more richer information, even if it is coming from the same bureau, basically, that the, that the lender was using earlier. So that's one, one thing that happens with just the bureaus. We, we use a lot more information from the same bureaus. And then we building these alternate data sources. So one of the things that one of our longest standing partnership has been with LexisNexis. Mm-hmm. Uh, LexisNexis typically was used more for identity and fraud verification kind of services. We have been able to find a way to use that data very productively for credit as well. And you know it doesn't work for all segments, but in certain segments where there is a pin file and so forth, that data becomes very, very helpful. Uh, in in helping uh, lenders approve more people there. So that's another example. We have several other partnerships that we have built out. We have partnership with MicroBuilt, which again has a slightly different coverage uh, and some alternate data and so forth. We announced a partnership uh, last week with uh, a company called UrjaNet. It's a uh, utility data uh, provider. They, They basically get data based on the permission of the customer. And again, we'll try and find a way to use some of that in the decision uh, making process as well. Uh, One very interesting area, or maybe actually the two, one is open banking really, right? So companies like Plaid and several others who basically have access to the banking information, that information can be very powerful. So we really encourage people to use that information wherever we can. And the last one I would say is, you're hearing a lot about embedded finance, Peter, right? Where mm-hmm. it's a retailing business, but they are trying to put, uh, you know, lending in the middle of it, really offer, offer a lending um, as, as a service while the customer is actually making a purchase. So in that environment, very rich information becomes available about what actually is being bought. What is the underlying transaction that is going on? And we have found that to be very, very helpful and very powerful uh, predictor of risk. Right, right. And then what about how are the models improving? I presume you talk about um, all of the, you know, you, you bring in all of the transactions, right? You've got, you've got multiple clients. So is the, does, does, your, does your core model learn from like all the different transactions? I mean, how does it, how does it improving? Yeah. So what we do not do is we do not bring all the data at a customer level across from different clients. That's not our business model because we think of ourselves as a okay. software provider. 
not as a provider of this consolidated data and getting insights from that. Um, and, and actually, you know, banks and financial institutions are very, uh, very skeptical about actually sharing uh, data across uh, each other freely. So that's, that's uh, not very easy to do. But what we do is we have this construct, our whole uh, construct of building these models has this layer of meta intelligence that keeps on getting refined. So it's almost like think of it as a first layer of a neural network, if you will, where you basically all the customer level information gets aggregated. And then that information basically uh, you know, helps us get sharper weights for different attributes, uh, depending on the segment mix that people are getting. So that's the kind of methodology that we have built out, which keeps the data of a particular client separate from each other, but there is some benefit that you get because of the overall learning that is happening in the system. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So I want to talk about borrower experience because I, you know, this is something that obviously everyone is, uh, is really trying to, you know, trying to improve and, you know, but there's people talking about now automated underwriting, but how, how is, um, how does AI-based underwriting impact or how can it impact the borrower experience? Right. It's a fantastic news for borrower, I think. Two things will happen, in my opinion. One, there'll be more credit that will become available as a result of this because one, one uh, very uh, uh, persistent phenomena that I've seen in my career as financial services professional, Peter, is this. If you don't have confidence in the tools that you have, risk managers will force you to make sure that you don't exhaust the growth opportunity, right? Because you, you're scared of taking the risk because you're not confident about the sharpness of the tools. Really. And if the front end of the business doesn't listen to the risk managers, then you'll have disastrous stories of lending, right? Where large amount of portfolio gets lost in bad debt and so forth really. So I think the world keeps vacillating between those two worlds, giving more power to risk managers and then taking it away and so forth really. And what we are trying to do is, we're trying to say that really just continue to sharpen your toolkit a lot more regularly. And that'll make sure that you have the confidence to lend and hence your longer term profitability will not be impacted. You'll, you'll be profitable in the long term. So really, I think, when that confidence happens, the growth diffidence that lenders might have that ex they exhibit will actually go down and more credit will become available. The more easier one there is very simple. Even now, we come across several, pretty much lots of these smaller clients that we are working with, even now could take several hours to approve a loan that our technology would approve within seconds, basically. Mm -hmm. So really, and, and COVID has actually really forced the hand of everybody in, because customers are not demanding that you give them a digital experience really, right? So our technology really enables the digital transformation. And one of the best outcomes there is that the approval decisions will happen, happen a lot faster for the customer. Right, right. Okay, so, so then with COVID, I mean, obviously we all know what happened in the last year. Did, did you find that there was more interest suddenly in... Uh, in what you guys were doing, um, because people, that was first the first time they thought we need to re we need to you know re-examine our our lending programs. And what what was the impact of uh, of COVID on your business? Yeah, I think uh, in the beginning, obviously, first few months were a total wash, right? Because everything right. was locked 
Sure. Uh, so, but really what happened was we basically used that time a little bit productively, I would say, uh, Peter, if I may say so myself. Uh, we basically started doing these webinars, uh, you know, uh, doing these webinars and really just started uh, sending out education, basically. So mm -hmm. we talked about borrower stability index. And I don't know if you noticed the previous year, 2019, Peter, we were at Lended and Money 2020. We were the only people who were actually talking about recession-proof lending. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually, I feel bad that our words ended up being true so quickly, really. But really, that was the theme that we were trying to tell people that, you know, get ready for more difficult times, slower growth and so forth. Get your credit risk toolkit ready. And that's what we were talking even before COVID hit. So that whole theme helped us. But essentially, when people started coming back after COVID, the first thing people were talking about was, oh, our volumes are down like 70% or 50% and so forth. How do we get this back? So that was one theme, right? That growth had totally gone out. There was a need to actually put more credit out, out in the market. People actually had the capital to invest, actually, and they were not first time able to actually, they were just really not sure whether they should start lending. So that was one theme. And then the whole expectation on digital, uh, kind of uh, digitally engaging with the customers. This made, these two things made, I think, a lot of credit unions and uh, lenders look at what can now be done. How can they get advanced? And one of the things that has happened is the provider ecosystem, Peter, has a little bit put fear in the minds of these people, if I may say so. Uh, and we benefit from some of this hype, but I think people are almost scared when you talk about AI and technology. Uh, some of these smaller lenders, they feel scared. Oh, they don't know or they can't afford and stuff like that. So we figured out the right price points. We figured out the right engagement model. And that is what uh, we think we are seeing a lot of traction uh, in last, uh, you know, eight, nine months. Right, right. Um I want to mention um, you know, Dave Girard, who I'm sure you know, the CEO of Upstart. They've obviously done a, a phenomenal job in this area and they have uh, you know, gone public and doing really, really well. But he said in, the, in their first earnings call as a public company, um, I don't know the exact quote, but it was something like, you know, all of underwriting will be AI driven in the near future. And uh, I presume you agree with that statement, but I want to ask... What's it going to take to get there? I mean, how, how are we going to get to 100% AI-driven underwriting? Yeah, so I had the fortune to work with another Dave, Dave McElier, uh, in early part of my career. And he had this concept more than two decades ago, more than 20 years ago. He basically said, I have this perpetual money-making machine concept, which is nothing but a bunch of uh, what is now called AI, but bunch of propensity models. So you have models of response, models for activation, models for spend, models for revolving behaviors, models for uh, you know probability of default, and so forth. You put all of them in a in a box, put a prospect pool at the start of this box, put all of those prospects through that, and out comes profit, basically. And all the operations, allied operations, are outsourced to partners and so forth, really, right? So that was the model that was built. And um, really, what happened was this. A uh, couple of billion dollars of book was created in like 18 months or so. 
and bunch of people went on cruises and awards and stuff like that really right and after two years of that we started seeing the losses eventually we lost about 40% of that book in losses basically wow. so here is the summary of my i think be power be to dave and i think i agree with him as a as a fellow professional who's interested in actually finding ways to use ai in a productive and sustainable manner i i absolutely support that point of view especially if you take a broad view of what we mean by ai right if you take the broad meaning which i was describing earlier when you asked me the question about what is ai if you think about ai as saying i want to use data i want to make sure that i have feedback loops and i improve and embed prediction at every stage of customer's journey right. that is the vision for what ai should should be doing and i think that's the right vision i think the only thing that we need to be cautious about is i there is i, I think ai is almost like a force of evolution i think it's irreversible and um and the resistance will be useless if you will <laughs> but i think but i think i would still say as far as lending is concerned we still need to overlay lending with a risk management expertise some of which comes with experience from the past because not all the data not all the cycles have been lived through right. and in fact behaviors are changing in ways that actually nobody has gotten experience with So you mm-hmm. have to apply a layer of experience. You have to do significant amount of testing, because otherwise you can become irrationally exuberant and right. create a volume of lending. And then I I'm afraid of having very dark stories, which uh, uh, then will come in the way of even the uh, benevolent adoption of AI. That's the only fear that I have. But on that, uh, I'm sure there is power beneath the wings of AI. Right, right, and then, and then, you just said one of the good things that we've had in the last twelve uh, months, shall we say, is that now I imagine everyone's got their pandemic, um, you know, models, right? Because I mean, obviously, the next pandemic might not might not look exactly the same, but no one really had a pandemic model that was accurate before before this time period. So maybe is that I presume you're you're incorporating a lot of that into the models now? Yeah, absolutely. So, so. we were fortunate to get some experience with the 2008 situation and right. again this is where there is an art to this whole thing i think models can only do so much really we have to you know we were taught again when we were studying uh, all of this stuff quantitative stuff people say all models are wrong but they can be very skillful if you use them carefully to do a certain thing really right so that's where we have we have we had lot of experience that we actually overlaid from 2008 time frame and we said here is what we saw were the shifts that happened in uh, performance of different types of cohorts from a risk perspective and here is what we should try in terms of testing how post covid times will respond um, and then evolve the new knowledge basically from here on right right okay okay before we get to audience questions uh maybe you could just give us a Just give us a quick peek into what what's on tap for Synaptic. What's uh, what's coming down the pipe for you guys? I think uh, Peter. I think our we are just getting started on our mission. This year will be very powerful year for us to make sure that our toolkit uh, basically becomes part of a large number of lenders and starts improving the quality of decisions that that they are making. Hopefully, we'll go to the next level with a bunch of these people and graduate them. on the whole ai spectrum in terms of 
you know, take, making their decision-making quality a lot more sophisticated. I think the big thing that I would like to do, and I'm not sure yet whether I'll be able to do it in this year or it'll take 18 months or 24 months, but I think the more exciting thing that I think we need to get onto now is think about new products. This whole model of saying, I have a credit card or I have a loan and I'll apply and I'll get rejected for it. And then I'll apply for another project, uh, product and see what I can get. That whole model is not the right model. It's not customer friendly. Mm-hmm. And if you see, it's a bit incestuous, right? So if you apply for one card and you get rejected, you are creating more inquiries and those inquiries are actually uh, telling your score that you are more risky customer, basically. So you, in fact, as you apply for more credit and you get rejected, the likelihood that you'll get even more rejected for other products actually increases, which is right. a problem, right? It's mm-hmm. a very structural problem with the, the way system is orchestrated. So we think that now the time has come for the financial services businesses to evolve the kind of products and how they actually give the right product to the customer, depending on the right situation they are in, so that they can engage the customer at the right time and go through and grow the customer uh, you know, uh, over time in line with how their life, uh, life cycle actually develops. Right, right. Well, that, that's, a, that's a big topic for, for, for another time, uh, Pankaj. It was really fascinating having you on this show. We're going to go to audience Q&A. If you're listening to this through your podcast app, um, we are gonna, we're going to end, this, end the session uh, right now, but you can go to, you'll be able to go and view the video, listen to the audience questions uh, at, the, at the show notes. There'll be a link uh, on lendacademy.com. So uh, with that, uh, thank you very much, Pankaj, and we'll, uh, we'll go to audience questions now. Okay, thanks, thanks again. Thank you. See ya. Hope you enjoyed that special live podcast with Synaptic. I just want to go back and emphasize this last piece that Pankaj said. I think he said it quite eloquently, saying, look, the model is broken where you have to go and apply and an inquiry gets on your on your report and 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 it's really not a very efficient model. And we 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 sort of been talking about this. You know, I know Ken Lin from Carrot Karma talked about it on the show a couple of years ago, this sort of autonomous finance where you can have loan offers appear right when you need them and when you are, you know that you will be approved for them. I feel like we're just getting going on that. We're not quite there, but I can see that, you know, Pankaj's vision is, is going to come true. I really think in the next possibly two years, but certainly the next three to five years, we will we, we won't have to go out and search for credit and get uh, all these inquiries on our car on, on our credit report. We're going to be able to have uh, a system that where the in some ways the loan offers come to us. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.